Welcome to another episode of Creative Mind, and I'm Bobby Brill. I hope you're ready for a very intense talk that goes all over the place. You are definitely going to have to strap in, grab some pens, grab some notepads, a lot to unpack here with illustrator and educator Robert Rebels. He is somebody who has been doing this for a very long time, before digital, embraced digital early on, and is somebody who has a great way of looking at how you need to live as an artist, what your mindset needs to be. Not just the talent, but how you put yourself in the right headspace to have a career as an artist. And very quickly, please subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind because we have a lot of great artists and illustrators and designers and educators coming up in the weeks ahead. So please hit subscribe. Now, here is Robert Rebels. You're one of those awesomely rare people that is a, a working artist and an educator. I stress that working artist concept because you've actually just been able to make a living as an artist what is it you do to be a working artist now? Usually it's freelance projects. It can be illustration. Sometimes it's really rare um, things that will come in that I'll end up illustrating for that I would have never dreamed of. It might be something that might be a textbook. I've done um, movie. Uh, it was a makeup artist for movies. And she needed illustrations explaining that stuff. And these are things I would have never dreamed that I would be doing. So these contracts come through and, you know, you grab them, you pick them up, you run with it. So you never really know what you're going to get. For me, to be a working illustrator, you have to be open to opportunities and open to doing things that outside of the scope of what you thought you originally were going to do. And you, and you, you give yourself that title of illustrator. Is there a difference between illustrator and fine artist or is it just a label? It's a label, to be honest with you. I mean, I got my degree in illustration. So, and, you know, and I teach and I teach illustrators, but I also teach people in game. And for me, the core concepts, the core skills of being an artist are just true fundamentals. And if you understand core fundamentals, you know, about good design, right? Composition, like, and this goes to music, a composition, they use the same terminology. So it's like, you have to understand how to design something that's, if it's music, very melodic, uh, you know, there's crescendos, you've got to think about how to be very intense or bring it way down, right? Music, and I'm using music right now because it's something we all can just relate to. It's like, if you put on, you know, spa music, it puts you in a certain tone. Well, it's the same thing with visual artists, right? We, the way we put our images together, we can trigger an emotional response instantaneously. And so if you can understand that, you can pretty much do anything. Because like whether it's photography, and I was telling my class this today, actually, whether it's interior design, concept art, if you know how to push a button and make people feel a certain way, you can shift and you'll always be in demand because it, that's what people want. People want to be moved. It's not just like, you know, sitting down and saying, okay, I'm an illustrator, so I only do such and such. You know, um, if you go that route, I think you can put yourself in a box. And I'll just say this, there's also some aspects of specialization that are important for marketing and to um, get, if people are trying to get a job specifically in um, an industry like game design or something like that. But I would just say this, many of the game designers, um, most of those people were illustrators. 
Um, even there are some really wonderful graphic designers that started off as illustrators. Uh, some of my students went on to do UI design. And so the way I teach is very specific because I want people to have these core skills so they're flexible later. I think the thing that's kept me valuable and, and has brought value to me, my name, and, and all those things at school is because I've done a little bit of everything. And so although it seems like I'm a jack of all trades, I'm the master, again, of those core principles. And that's why it gives the illusion like I can do a lot. Right. <laughs> the illusion. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so I do that. And, um, and it's, just, it's really paid off for me. Right. It's just really paid off for me. It's interesting because, I mean, I want people to you know go to your website. It's robertrevels.com, uh, R-E-V-E-L-S. And, one and, of the and things hold I on. It's, when... it's just sorry. Uh -oh. Sorry, I mean, and the typical artist disclaimer, a lot of that's really old. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm putting some new stuff up there. But anyway, the thing that I notice right away, other than the, the work is amazing, is there's not a lot of advertising illustration per se. There's not the, here's an illustration of the Campbell's soup yeah. can and the happy kid eating it. It's got much more of a fantasy comic book, darker sensibility to it. Is that something that you were always into or is that just kind of uh, the work you like to showcase? That's marketing, right? That's business, right? So, but it is what I like as well. So you know, when I first started off as a kid, you know, I was passionate about sports. That was what I was into. I was an athlete, you know, so I like to draw a lot of athletes. Then when I came to art school, look, I grew up on Star Wars. I was obsessed like every other little kid. I think that motivated all of us <laughs> to get into design. I, I think if Star Wars didn't exist, there wouldn't be an art business right I, now. It's really, like, I mean, it's like Dungeons and Dragons and Star mm -hmm. Wars, whether you're into them or not, if they don't exist, none of us yeah, have careers. Exactly. I mean, I would sit up late at night because I, I, to this day, I have a hard time sleeping at night. I just, my energy turns on at like nine or 10 and it's just what it is. And I tried to tra train myself, but I was a little kid and I remember, I think it was a uh, dark crystal. And there was a lot of those things on HBO as a little kid. This is way back when they didn't have all the cable stuff. They would show these um, making of and they would show them doing matte paintings on this stuff. And I was a little kid and I'm looking at this mind blown, right? And so I've just always loved that stuff. I've always loved fantasy. I always loved sci-fi. Obsessed with oh, it. And the, the, what was it? The, the, the end of Raiders of the Lost oh, Ark that, where, where everyone's just like, you, when you, when you, I, I grew I mean, you know, for me, those behind the scenes things, what got me into film production and things like that was like, that looks like the coolest thing yeah. ever. But that matte painting of the oh, yeah. Star Wars man painting and the Raiders of the Lost Ark matte painting where it's like somebody yeah. did that. Oh. And that was like my motivation. And, and, and the irony is, um, but then I also liked fine art too. And, but when I came to school, I thought, honestly, this is right right when um, McFar uh, McFarlane and all those guys broke off to do image. So like this is right when it was hot and then the implosion. That was right when I was starting school, it was just still hot. So that's what 92, It was, it was right around there. I started school in, okay. I believe our school, I okay. I think I was, it was 91 maybe. Cause there was an, and I always remember it based off of a magazine cover that had a really cool illustration on it. And I was at an art store and I remember that magazine, I think it was 1991. And so that's when I started art school and I, I was like, I'm going to go in here to be a comic guy. That's what I wanted to do. And when I got in. Yeah. Cause that, that was Seth, that was Seth MacFarlane. Was it spawn? Yeah. That was like just okay. popping off. And, and my, and my nature, just my nature is I'm sort of, um, I'm more of a risk taker. And, and I like the idea of having some control and say. 
And the thought of like, these guys doing that, that was like right up my alley in terms of the attitude and bravado. And, 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 you know, and it was also the fact they were just doing some really cool stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to do that, right? That's what I want to do. But then it was really weird. I got in art school and then I start discovering all this art and I was exposed to so much. And then I just start going into sort of like just different paths. And then I just really never really reconnected back to that that much until I was uh, actually out of school. Oh, really? So, so dark horse and image and this whole, this whole, we against the world mentality and, and in sports too, there was, that was also the time that Shaq is coming up in, in the NBA. Cause I, I was big into sports and, and, uh, sports memorabilia and card, uh, sports cards at the time, which we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, there was that, there was that time in the early nineties, you know, right before the internet took off where everything is fundamentally changing. It's a big change in modern multimedia. Yeah. The, the concept of multimedia is, be, is going mm-hmm. to become a thing very soon. Yeah. But what was it that you were exposed to in school that you saw that really changed you? What were, were there some specific pieces or artists? When I first started school, I was working, and this is why I said, there was this magazine called Airbrush Action. And, you know, and I was into Airbrush at the time. So I was like, I, I self-taught, I'm the type of person, I'll teach myself. So self-taught, I went and bought all this stuff and learned how to do airbrushing and I would sell clothes and stuff like that in the street, right? That's how I made my money. And that's how I made money in school. A, a lot of it, just hustler. And, um, and so, but, so I had a fascination with the airbrush and that sort of was the technology at the time. So some people didn't embrace it. Some people did, but there was a, on the cover, there was this King Kong painting. And I'll never forget it. I was working, you know, and it was boring. You know, I don't know if it was a Sunday or whatever. I was like losing my mind bored. And then this magazine was there and I saw it. And it was a King Kong painting. And I was like, they did this in airbrush? That's what I thought, right? And I looked at, who is this guy? You know, his name was Thomas Blackshear. You know, and later on, I just became so obsessed with him. And I think it was partly because of the initial reaction of that painting. And, you know, and so I looked inside, read the article. I'm like, wow, you know, I bought it and took it home and, and just devoured it. And then I had no idea that he would teach workshops at the academy. And um, that was the beginning of a monumental shift for me because I thought it was airbrush, but it was like a gouache painting with a little bit of airbrush. When what he was doing, and when I looked at the magazine, it was an airbrush magazine, but some of the paintings were oil, some were acrylic, some were very painterly, some were very realistic hyper detailed. It was like this broad diaspora of work. And I was like, what? You know, and that just made me get out of the the sense of like, um, just being in this narrow scope. And, um, and then he had a workshop and I was like a freshman. I shouldn't have been in that workshop. And it was, uh, and I don't even, I don't even think I had a real class at the school. And it was at the school and it was like all these people who went to art school and graduated all across the country were showing up for this thing. And it was in this small little, little room. He comes in here, tall guy. And, uh, and everybody in there was amazing. And I'm like, I'm just sitting here like a freshman. I don't, all I know is my airbrush. <laughs> no, and I don't even know it. And he's walking and talking. And people are like, just like, like fawning all over him. Like he's like this God. And I'm like, this is crazy, right? But he was so good. He was just so good. And like I said, he, then he starts showing me because he was uh, an apprentice to Mark English. And I had a book that had all these samples. I, I don't know. I think it, someone taught me this in school, but because we didn't have technology. So whenever we had, we could find an illustration in a magazine or a book, or we used to have these annuals. We were obsessed. We were like just little nerdy freaks 
we would rip everything out. Even a two-year-old yeah. uh, marketing review, you're like, I kind of need to keep yeah. this. How do I keep yeah. this thing? Because you couldn't get this stuff yeah. anywhere. It was a big deal. It was like cherished gold, right? And, and it was like, if you, if you found, it was sort of like uh, the hip hop artists when they were looking through vinyls, trying to find that one little nugget to do something. That was what it was like then. It's like, you're trying to find that one illustration that no one's seen that was going to inspire you. And so I had some Mark English stuff and all these things. And I didn't know anybody's name. I didn't know anything. I just stored it in my book. And I remember he kind of walked over and, you know, and he looked at my book and so I worked on that. You know, so I was apprentice and I helped on that one. And he just started talking and I was like, yeah, I don't even know that. And, you know, he, he was just like, look, you need to know who these people are, know their names. And, and then by doing that, I just start looking at these people and look at who they were inspired by. And it just opened my world up. I just start liking so much. It's like Art Nouveau, JC Leindecker. I, I, you know, I think most students go to this fascination with the past, you know, like N.C. Wyeth, Howard Pyle. Especially at the Academy, we're very big on the historic, uh, historical aspect of illustration and design. But that stuff still is very relevant because like Dean Cornwell worked on, I believe it was uh, some concepts for The Robe. It was one of those movies. And so it's like, to me, it's all the same. That's why we said that earlier. It's like illustration design. You know, it just depends what I'm applying for at the moment. <laughs> That's what I'll say I am. <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, but that, that was what changed me. That's, that, that was definitely it. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the Bay Area? Yes, or? I grew up in okay. uh, Daly City, right? Yeah, oh, okay. super gray and okay. foggy. Yep. And, you know, super depressing all the time. And, uh, <laughs> but I was an athlete. And, you know, so I played sports quite a bit in high school. So that kept me like juiced up a little bit. But, it, you know. And the, the Academy was your first choice for going to college? No. Well, you know, it's really interesting. You know, when I was in school, I was actually a really smart kid, but the peer pressure and all that in high school, it was so, so intense where it was like, if you were really smart and people knew it, you know, it, at the school I went to, it, it didn't go so well. Smart jocks don't, don't go far. It seems like. Yeah. It does not mix. Right. So I did just enough to skate by, but you know, not enough to excel. I played myself down, but I had opportunities that I was getting passed up on. So I had to go to a Juco. So I went to college of San Mateo. And so to give you context of that is the year that I went is the year that there was a coach there, Tom Martinez. He had just retired. This is the guy who uh, mentored Tom Brady. Okay. Okay. All the time. Right. And so, and Julian Adaman went to the same school that I went to, to play football, same place. He just was there a couple years after me to give you context. So I, that's where I was at. And um, so I went to play football. That was me. What position? Receiver. I was a receiver in high school. I played a uh, receiver, all over the secondary and I was like a backup quarterback. See, that makes me feel good. Cause I was, I was, a, I was a very terrible uh, ninth string uh, nose guard <laughs> at the same time where I was deep into the photography department and, and working in the, in the uh, dark room yeah. and being the guy with glasses who was on the team with a 4.0 cause we had football classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played myself down in high school, but I knew once I got out of high school that I would not do that again. And so I remember I went into the coach's office and now when I think about it, I can see how this could come off as sort of cocky and arrogant, but it, it didn't, I didn't attend it. I walked in, I said, I'm going to play hard. I'm going to practice hard. I'm going to give you everything I got, but I'm not going to be one of those guys who's going to have PE from sun up to sundown. 
I'm going to have classes. I'm going to do biology. I'm going to do all these things. I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Right? And, and, the, and here, this is the irony, right? So then like later on, one day I'm walking and like, he's looking at me like, okay, I mean, this is a strange bird. And then um, last year he comes in and uh, there was like a letter from Columbia you know, trying to oh recruit me, right? Now, I don't know what would have happened if I went all the way with that. I wasn't the best student. I was an okay student, you know? But that goes to show you, like, because of that, I, he had to have sent stuff to me, to them, you know? And then, but that goes to show, like, when you state who you are and what you're about from the beginning, people respond in a certain way in turn. And so he treated me like I'm an intelligent person, artist, not just a jock. And that bravado can really, uh, it can make or break you. It's like, okay, you, you laid it out there. You better back it up. Exactly. So like cocky and um, confident, it's like that borderline. And arrogance is a, it's a real strong borderline. Like in my mind, I never thought of myself as cocky nor arrogant, but I always felt confident. And that's because of sports. I, the amount of effort and things that you have to put into that drive you. you know, and like to give you context, you know, because I think this relates to everything in art. When I was really young, I had a neighbor who, uh, he was a really cool guy. He kind of mentored me when I was like 13, kind of transitioning into high school. I was really skinny. I was always a late bloomer. So that's why I don't even look my age now. I always look way younger. <laughs> and so it's a blessing now, right? But then it wasn't. <laughs> you know, I was really little and I always loved sports, but I was not going to play football nor basketball in high school. I was just like, nah, I'm not good enough nor big enough. I don't want to play with those. They're just huge. And he took me in, under his wings and started telling me, look, when I played in junior college, I was like 135. I'm like, no way. And like, he started showing me tapes and pictures. And he just, he started putting in my mind that don't put limitations. Like you, you, you got to have like, from a sports analogy, like you have to have a little dog in you. You got to be willing to fight. It's like, I'm seeing you be very passive. I need you to be a little bit more. I remember one time he would start training me to play receiver because that was his position. And he, he, I don't know if he really believed in me or not, but I know he, <laughs> he pushed me in a way. Cause I remember one time I was really like 13, 14. And there were some guys in the neighborhood that were like 17, 18. Now, when you're thinking about that age, that's a big difference between. That's a huge difference. Huge. That's, that's a, that's almost a grown man. Exactly. And this guy is out there. We're playing and they were coming around like, you know, talking trash. Like what are you guys doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he just was like he could talk so much trash is like he was talking and talking and talking but the problem was he wasn't talking about what he was going to do he was telling these grown-ups what i was going to do to them <laughs> this little yeah. guy who you don't see is gonna yeah womp your butt yeah and <laughs> get ready and you see their nose flare and they're angry and they want to take me out they're so angry and he said now get over there and they're gonna guard you and now you go do what we did and I'm petrified, but he put me out there in a way that I had no choice but to go and try. And what happened was, it was a, to me, it was a miracle. I did the move, boom, 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 burnt the guy. And then oh, man. they were really angry. Now they're coming even more. <laughs> so now the intensity, and so we're sitting out there for 20 minutes and they're getting angrier and angrier. They're like, they're pulling off clothes like to try to beat this little kid and I'm scrawny. <laughs> Right. But, right. But so this is the, th the reason why I bring this up, because I want the students to hear this, that set the stage for me to be willing to walk out on the edge and take a risk, be willing to fail and go. It, it is what it is. It's like, you may get me, but we're going to go.
right? I may fail, but I'm going, right? I'm going. And then when you have, and all it takes is one or two successes and you, you stack on them. And the thing is, if, and when I do fail, I just do my best not to, I always try to think of it as like, what can I learn from this and add it to my tool belt? You hear that a, a lot in some of the more technical arts, like in, in cam- cameramen and, and film and, and photographers, it's got a lot of bravado when you're working in that industry. And then when you're working with fine artists, it's kind of more, you know, quiet and subdued yeah. and we're going to yeah. do it. But like, you know, if, like you're, you're talking about how, you know, you're working freelance and you got to get yourself out there and you got to cut through the noise. It does require that. Well, I'm going to think I'm the best, whether I'm not, yeah. I better, uh, I better figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And the way I think of it, like in truth, it's like, cause I actually don't mind the idea of being the best or not, but what I do like to, the way I like to think of it is, this is how I brain in myself. So I don't get out of control. I go, you know what? I do know that I have talent is undeniable, but I'm not the only one that has talent. And once I know that it brings it back into perspective. The issue is when you think you're the only one, that's when you got yourself in trouble. Cause now you think you're the only one who's going to be the best one. You're the only one that can do the job and then you'll get yourself in trouble. That's when you have an ego and you, nobody wants that ego around. So now is when we cut to that Rocky four training montage of you getting out your uh, pens and paints and airbrush and da 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 I mean, honestly, <laughs> and in truth, I'm going to be honest with you. It's very much like that, <laughs> right? I grew up on that stuff and, and I came from that background. So when I walked into art school, I was supposed to go one more year to practice or one more year to play. And it was summer. And and I was also, I, I didn't mention this, I was also got accepted to go to Morehouse. That's a historically black college, uh, Martin Luther King and all that stuff. So, so very, very important school yeah. for a lot of people. So yeah. I might, you don't turn that one down. You don't. And I got accepted and I was, was initially supposed to go that fall. And I was um, going to go into political science. At that time, I was very, I, I wanted to get, become like a civil rights lawyer or something like that. That was really a passion of mine at that time. And, um, uh-huh. And so I had counselors and I did, I drew in college. So they would see some of the artwork that I did. And, and I was doing the airbrush t-shirts and stuff. But I had a counselor and she put me to the side and said, like, are you sure this is the right thing for you? I mean, like a lot of people can't do this. Like this art, like, are you sure? Like you, I really want you to really consider what you're doing first. And that's when I went up to the academy just on a whim. And I just wanted to go look in the halls. I walked around, I saw art on the walls and my heart started pounding on my chest. Like, I want to do that. I can do that. I want to do that. I can do that. And I just, and literally I signed up on the spot. I didn't care. And like, and this is what I mean. Like, this is where you, you, you do have to do something. I didn't look to see what the school was. I didn't see who was teaching. I didn't see what, I just saw art on the wall. That's all I needed. Like there was art on the wall. And then I just said, I'm an athlete. I'm going to take the athlete training and I'm going to come in here and get busy. And that's exactly what I, 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 I quit. I would, I quit literally football, everything on the spot. Burn, you know, some people say burn bridges. I burned bridges. Everyone, <laughs> my mother was mad. Everybody was mad. You didn't burn bridges, man. You salted the earth yeah. when you left. Yeah. For so it was loud. like, yeah. And I, literally I had like a finals to do. I don't recommend this to people. Right. <laughs> Just so we're clear. Yeah. Don't everybody do this. But I think it's important to give context to how I'm wired, really. And so I was like, I'm not going back. I'm going all in. 
and um, I didn't take a couple finals. So I knew that was going to just radically blow up all my college stuff. Oh man. And I, so I knew, and, and I, and I, when I came to school, it was like, I walked in, I was not the best. These, you know, you got people coming in here. They've been drawing their entire life. I drew, everybody draws, but you know, I drew off and on, you know, sometimes I draw some sports characters and then I wouldn't, I would do it on the school, but I wasn't, I never perceived myself as an artist. Seeing somebody who's been classically trained or someone who's been drawing five years longer than you, you're like, oh man, what was I thinking? Yeah. So I just walked in and it was like, okay, the gauntlet's, you know, thrown down and it's like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to fall back on who I am and what I do. And, you know, I'm going to work hard. And I just went full throttle. So you definitely became the, uh, the artist athlete with the emphasis on the artist, but the, the soul of uh, the gridiron on that. Exactly. That is, that's it. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. And it was before they had sports here at the school. Cause I tell you, if they would have sports, I would have definitely played basketball. Oh, wow. I wasn't the best basketball player, but it, it's just like, I'm talking now a little bit in like my nature is coming out. Like when I'm in school, I do modify this sure, quite a bit, right? You know, but there's this thing where it's like, okay. So when people talk about like, they're really competitive with art and things like that, I don't really think of art as competition. I just don't. To me, competition is when you're going like one-on-one where you're really going at it. Like that's competition. Like art is really, it's a, it's a, I mean, in many ways, there's a spiritual component to it. Right. And, but there's also the ability to get up for the task and go out for it. It's like, you know, Homer's odyssey, right. It's, it's all that stuff is like, it's Luke. It's like, it's all of the hero's journey. It's like, are, do you have the courage to go for it? And it's not about, and for me, this is the biggest mistake everyone makes. And, I'm, and I've made this mistake myself. I've made this, and I, and I still make it. But the biggest mistake that people make is they obsess with the end goal, and it's not about the end goal. It's about, did you have the courage to follow your passion? And did you have the courage to give it all you got? Or are you just sort of like, Oh, I kind of like that, would like to do that, but I'm just going to kind of tap out and just not do it. Like, so for me, this is how I'm wired. And I think that way. And I push those buttons in me. Now I do suppress it and I suppressed it with people and sometimes, and I tried <laughs> to modify it quite a bit, but I'm going to tell you, whenever I modified this, when you're not true to who you are in your nature, you will be miserable. You're going to die a slow death. And it's like, you, you want to be around people who can help foster who you are and embrace it and then go for it. And then, you know, you will be unstoppable. Right. And you, and you can find a way like, so we were talking about making, you know, being an illustrator, like you can find ways to make money. So people feel like, Oh, all you got to do is go out and work for people. No, you don't. And so people go, okay, I'll just do the Etsy thing. Okay. You can do Etsy. I'm not knocking Etsy. If you're willing to take chances and not feel like a failure, there's so many ways you can make money. I could just rattle off many ways. Like somebody came up with the idea. I got an idea. People love um, wine. I got an idea. Let's just put some paint out there and let them drink wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Million and dollars somebody, later. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and all the pure artists are walking around looking at them like, oh, sellouts and blah, 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 right. blah. I'm like, okay. But the, guess what? They have money to allow them to do whatever they want with their art. It's interesting you, 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 you go straight to that because there is something, I find this when I talk to illustrators. I think it's illustrators and photographers who go very much hand in hand because there's a, there's a lot of a very fine art bent to what illustrators and photographers do. And then there's this 
I can make money now doing something that nobody else can, which I know how to do step one through 10. Like it's making a cup of coffee. And right. there's, there's that mentality that it does seem with a technical artist, because there's a lot of technical illustration that people forget about that. It, it seems like, you know, illustrators do have this kind of like, yeah, let's go, let's do it. Let's run. I don't care. Let's, yeah. What do you want me to draw? Tell me. But how does that translate then into you're getting ready to graduate and you're starting to build a career? What did you go after? Was there a specific genre you wanted to or was it just bring it on and let's knock it down? When I graduated, it was just a detail in of the movie poster in Drew Shusan's era in Rain. But I think it was like late 90s when it was like really starting to wrap up. And, but that was what I wanted to do all the way through school. So when I think I was a sophomore and this is, remember, this is like no web and all right. that stuff. So <laughs> I went down there. If and, you're lucky and where you're going to find it is a yellow yeah. pages or a white pages. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know what they call it now, but back then I think they called it information. So all you young people, <laughs> right. it, we didn't have a cell phone. We there called were physical like, buttons you had yeah, to push. We, we, and it was awesome because I picked up this phone and I said, hello, may I have Jushu San's phone number? And they gave it to me. This is real talk. They, they gave me his phone number. And so now I got the phone. Now, now let me tell you guys. So when I say like I do these things, I don't want to get it twisted. I'm scared out of my mind when I do it, but I just do it anyway. Right. So I'm like, got to call him. I'm like hyperventilating. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like Drew Susan. I'm like, I'm freaking out. But I just got the courage and I called him. I said, Hey, I'm from San Francisco. I go to that school. You use airbrush. I do. Not a lot of people use that up there. I would just love it. If you could just look at my portfolio, if I can just stop by and I would just be so grateful. And he's like, I'm sick right now called me back in a day or so. And then, and um, I called him back in a couple of days. Like, okay, come on over. And, uh, and he gave me his address. Our studio is in the back of his house. It's built to the back. So if anybody's <laughs> questioning whether I'm telling the truth, so it's in the back <laughs> on a corner. It was sort of long, skinny, as I remember. And it had like a glass door and it was sort of like an octagonal sort of entrance. I believe it was, is this a long time ago, right? Over 20 years ago. I went in, there he was, very gracious, kind, let me in. You start seeing, he had some paintings up on the wall, but when you see the originals, it was another story because now you, you could see the layering of the paint and you could see the pencils layered underneath it. It was a totally different animal. And this is why this was important because when I went in there, he was nice and he was just letting me walk up to him and look at the paintings. And he was just showing me all this stuff. And by me seeing the original and not a printed version, I knew what the real standard was right? Okay. because a printed version, right? A printed version. If I'm a student, I'm going to go and just work and do stuff that mimics the print. And you think that's good. You're just going up to a certain level. But when you think about it, when he's sending these paintings to people, they're seeing it. It's like 10 times better than that. So it taught me what my level had to really be to get work. I mean, a lot of people forget when you're talking at this level, it's a painting. It's not an airbrush artwork. It's not yeah. a, it's not an illustration. It, it is a piece of yeah. fine art. It's like you said, there's, there's the pencil drawing, the colored pencil drawing, maybe some marker, some airbrush highlights, gouache, some varnish here and there, a couple of tricks yeah. that he, that no one's going to tell you about. Yeah. And then it goes off and it's photographed. And, and from then on, and these things are massive. Yeah. They're I big. Mean, these are not mm -hmm. small pieces exactly. of work. These are door frame size mm -hmm. pieces. Exactly. The person who's not 
who's never been through art school or hasn't seen a painter work, they think, oh, you do one or two paintings a year. It's like, no, you're doing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20, oh, 30, yeah. 40 paintings a month, you know, every quarter. I mean, you're, you're, you're producing. The production level is much higher now because of digital. I think back then with publishing, you know, especially because back then we used to have to FedEx stuff back to New York. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that whole process and, you know, you had to FedEx your portfolio. You know, it was very expensive to get started in this business in the past. So, you know, you, you get to meet, you know, one of your idols. What then do you start to work on? Is it just a hodgepodge or are you going and, and trying to find some stuff that you're looking for? Because you, you, you did posters, correct? Yes. Was it was it sports related or was it? That became sort of my thing. So when I graduated school, I got illustration reps and I had, because back then it was really a big deal to have a rep because we didn't again have the internet. So I had a rep in New York and I had one in LA and the one in uh, New York, they were getting me jobs like right out of school. So it would just be these sort of random oh, wow. sort of publishing sort of cover pieces, just nothing sexy, but just good solid work, you know, typical pay on those. It might be like, you know, two to three grand, for like, you know, about two weeks work. It was, you know, it, was, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was, but it, for me, I was excited about it, especially coming out of school. Yeah, yeah, you, I could you live. Could you were, you were yeah, actually able yeah. to Yeah, so live. it came out and I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm getting my feet wet. And I'm like, okay, I can't complain. And, uh, and I kept doing that. And then I, uh, I got a job at, and I'll kind of get to the sports posters, but I got a job at Wet Studios. And, and, and this was sort of fundamental right before I got into the sports stuff. So I have my reps and I'm doing work for them. You know, I wasn't, and again, I was young, a little immature because it wasn't kind of the projects that I wanted. So I didn't emotionally get up for every single illustration, which was, you know, it's just immaturity. Like I'm totally different now, but I got a job at this wet studios and this is what really started to turn me into a professional. I always tell people it was a classic rock and roll studio. It was right next to the ballpark right before Pac Bell Park came. That's kind of what shut and changed everything down, removed everything. But it was this studio right there. And no one's going to remember this, but there was Tower Records in San Francisco. Okay. All, all, always an epicenter of what's going on in any city they're at. Yeah. 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 And so like this Tower Records is a big deal. And what was fancy or special about Tower Records, the one, uh, I believe it's in Columbus, uh, was the street, I believe they had these big six by six feet wood panels of painted album covers, like literally someone painted these and they would mount them up outside. Right. Yeah. I think all the, all the yeah. tower, I grew up in LA and all the, yeah. all the tower records, I think had that and they would yeah. change. It was like, oh, so wow, what studios that. like that was one of their bread and butter things that they did. So you right airbrush and huh. paint those out. And so, and then we would also do all the concert backdrops. I mean, we worked on stuff for Santana, U2, everything. And so you can imagine, you know, and this is one thing why having a good portfolio is important because I showed my portfolio, I got in and so normally in those kind of environments, it's sort of like a pecking order and you have to work your way up to the top. But I show up my stuff and I got to work on like some of the better jobs in the studio right away. I still had to earn my stripes, but I was like always in that top, you know, uh, 10% in terms of projects. And it was fantastic. And I mean, we were, and I say we worked on all kinds of stuff and it was amazing. And why I bring that up, that's what turned me into a pro because they would hand me like, you know, my stack of album covers and they say, okay, we need four of these, maybe, 
in a week and a half, or they might give me one, we need this tomorrow. And you're talking about six by six feet, and it's gotta be photorealistic, airbrush and paint, you had to move. And they taught you how to mix paint because this is all traditional. So I had to hand mix paint, take my shopping cart, and you know, it was like a <laughs> move it over there. And I'm like spraying <laughs> and it's like doing all this stuff. And <laughs> you're, you know, I'm, I'm you're, you know, like, what are you doing? Graffiti, a mural? I, I'm just, it's just work. Yeah. I gotta so go. I gotta so work. it was very intense, but that intensity and just learning how to work fast, really, really fast helped me because then that's when I started to like, okay, when I start to transition out of that, when I finally left that, I went up to uh, Sacramento and that's when I started getting into sports stuff. I believe the company was Sierra Sun. I believe it was. That was the primary company that I okay. did stuff for. And then I would do stuff for, I can't remember the, album, the I mean, the magazine covers. Yeah. Again, that's another thing that doesn't exist anymore, but has kind of come full circle where, you know, the idea of a collectible and now we have, you know, now collectibles are totally, totally different. But, you know, the idea of, you know, your, your collectible art and fan art and uh, I mean, even some of that stuff, some of that sports stuff is almost concept art because it's it, it's like, you know, this doesn't exist and we're trying to make illustration or almost fine mm -hmm. art for the masses. Yeah, it, it was definitely I, re I remember that stuff. I mean, you know, getting a uh, an actual poster size mm -hmm. lithograph you know, of a yeah. painterly style, then autographed yep. by the artist and yep. autographed by the player was, I mean, that was the premier doctor level gift yeah. or dentist. It was gift. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Limited <laughs> edition. They, and it was very similar to that whole thing with the comics. You get some that look like on fine art watercolor paper. Then you get some that are foiled with embossing, you know, so I, I did a few of those that got done that way. So it was enjoyable and it was sort of a natural fit for me because it was like a lot of me to use some of the Drusha sand kind of, and I, I use him. He's like shorthand for just saying posters that are composited, right? Cause that's my generation. That's what we say. But it was allowed me to do that composited imagery and paint it by hand, but yet use some of the things I knew and I was emotionally connected to, even though there was some time since past, since I was really involved in it. But it was sort of a natural fit, and I had a, a a good emotional connection to it. I think that's important. I mean, if if you're not emotionally connected to your artwork, it's it's just meh. yeah, it's just dog yeah. food on a plate. I mean, it's yeah. not not that exciting. Exactly. <laughs> so when does the switch come to being a digital artist? Now, a couple things happen. So when I went up to Sacramento, right, Davis, I lived in Davis, but worked in Sacramento. I had just left wet studios. And so I went up there and, you know, I was doing freelance and I was doing the sports stuff and they had a place up there, but I needed like more steady income. And so I was like, what am I going to do? You know, like there's some studios around here, but like they all need digital skills and I didn't have any. And then what happened, which was sort of like a crushing thing that happened to me. I had sent samples when I had got out of school to ILM. I got two letters actually, and sometimes I mix up the story. I got a letter asking for more stuff, you know, and then I send that. And then I got another response where it's like, this is great. Send us all your digital stuff. And I had nothing. And I was stubbornly refused to do digital. I was like one of those, I'm an artiste, right? Of course, of course. Many of us thought that I'm not going to pick up a digital camera. Oh yeah, I'm not you. touching it. Like, I'm not going there. Are you crazy? And that was sort of like the real awakening where 
that opportunity of something that I always dreamed to have was just gone and squandered because I wasn't willing to be flexible and learn and grow. And that changed my future, honestly. Because then when I got to Sacramento, you know, I needed a job. When you're in a college town in, in those areas, it's different than being in a Bay Area where jobs were robust and plentiful, right? I could just walk outside and get a job. It was just easy. When I went up there, it was like, I just need a little part-time job to just cover until my checks come in. And I couldn't find a job, not even a coffee shop job. They were telling me they wanted me to write two page essays. And I was like, it was a, it was a very emotional, disturbing moment, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, and I have to be dramatic, right? It's very dramatic. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I got a degree. I got the skills. Like, I can't even get a freaking job at Macy's for Christmas. And so I went around to all the studios, all the graphic design studios. And there was one in particular, I kind of got along with them really well. They, they were really nice and they just loved my portfolio. I was just looking for freelance work, but I was also like, Hey, do you have a job? <laughs> and I mean, and they were like, you know what? I can see how you could be a graphic designer. I can see this. And they said their words. She, she said, the best graphic designers are usually illustrators. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I have a job? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Great. She's like, um, you know, we do have a spot, but I offered the job to someone. So I'm going to have to see if they're going to take it. And so it said, but do you know computers? I'm like, no, but I can learn. <laughs> That's it. One-on-one -on -one drill, 50 yard line, no pads. Let's go. Come on. Uh, yeah, three, I'm three telling you. And so, and she's the principal. <laughs> and so, and now I want to give you context. So like, our, you know, our rival school, I would not rival, but you know how like, in, if we had to say our, our, the school that is closely associated, one of them is like art center. So she was an art center designer. So, you know, she was very serious. So what happened, I just said, Hey, look, let me prove it. Let me come in here for a week, maybe two and show you that I can learn it. And it was Adobe Illustrator at the time. Let me show you that I can learn this and do this. So she said, huh, they gave me the manual, right? I took the <laughs> manual home. I devoured that book, right? I devoured it, literally. I came back the next day. She uh, put me on a computer and she just let me play around because I didn't have a computer, couldn't afford it. And um, I sat there. Now, again, I'm an illustrator. And this is why I say this is why I say it's all the same, because I sat down and like I didn't know the terminology of the language of graphic design, but I knew the visual language. And so she said, hey, do a newsletter. Now, again, that wasn't the kind of work that I did. So I had to quickly look up and see what a newsletter looked like. And I just looked at it. And then I made like a bunch of newsletters as samples for her to see. Now, man, you know, I didn't do type design. I didn't learn all that stuff, but she looked at it and she was just like, man, like, wow. But she couldn't commit because this other person was, got that job. We were supposed to have the job. And so I was like, and I did this for about a week and a half, but after a while I was like, okay, look, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I got to go get a job. And then I get a phone call from the studio that I put that work in. And they're like, look, the other person didn't accept it. And we want to offer you a job. The beauty of that was when I was there is that that's when I think I actually became an illustrator because I saw how illustration was really used. I saw how, how when the illustrations came in, when people sent samples in, I saw what stayed, what went in the garbage. I saw why. Ah, uh, interesting. Right? Interesting. We had 
our staff photographers. We had three particular ones we used and like one on certain projects. I saw what they got. I saw how those people came in. They would come in with their families when they were turning, dropping off. So I don't know if it was intentional, but I'm gonna tell you like, I'd be working on my project and like their kids are underneath my feet and it felt like they were connected as a family. Those people get work. Interesting. Right? <laughs> I have to remember that next time. Next time I, I'm up for a, for a gig, I'll bring yeah, my yeah. Like, hey, go play, go look sad, yeah. or eat some ice cream. It, it was crazy. Go, go it corner. was crazy. It taught me so much because I saw why people were. We kept using certain people, and even if people were really good, and I saw like sometimes people would keep samples, not really for the actual work, but for maybe how it was folded. I saw so much. So then when when I left. I knew how to um, sell and market my work that point forward because I knew like graphic, like I, I knew it's like if I, even now it's like there's certain ways you can go. Like if you want to use Illustrator, you can use a certain way and what appeals to people. And then you also know the industries and what, where are you, you know, we're in the Bay area. So we're tech area. So the illustrations have to reflect that. And then, you know, New York, even still, if you go to like Broadway and that whole vibe, it's just a different feeling with the, the work. And so if you're going to live here, you got to do tech. Right. You're, you're, if you're in the Midwest, you're, you're doing cars all yeah. day long. You're in LA, you're doing right. movies every right. minute. And right. so what that taught me was it helped, taught me to understand this is a business and start to think of it as a business. Well, and that's interesting. I mean, you know, I, a lot of people we've talked to have said that where once you see how they use the artwork, you realize not what you've done wrong, but how somebody who's writing you a check looks at your work, which is very different. Like you may make the most gorgeous thing ever, but if it's not going to fit in an A4 or an eight and a half by 11 page where you've got a gutter and you've got an ad that's got to go here and all of a sudden a column to some text and there's no place to put the text because that text they can't change the color on so it's readable your artwork doesn't get picked <laughs> exactly and then and what's worse if they had to take your piece and now they have to spend all day in photoshop fixing it disaster they're not using you again. They're not. <laughs> They're angry. I paid you money. I paid you money to not give me a problem. You gave me a problem. Oh, man. Right? And now I got to fix your problem. You're not getting hired again. I, I, I Listen, I, I, had to, I didn't know Photoshop at the time because it was all Adobe Illustrator. But then we had, I think, one Photoshop at the time because it was so expensive. But what happened was I started to like illustration and I started to like design more when I stopped doing it traditionally. Interesting. Yeah. Really? The business, I like painting better traditionally, but doing the business, it opened me up. I actually start to enjoy it because I loved painting in the process so much by hand that I hated making changes. The thought of making like all that part of it, I was a fine artist. It was very hard for me to right. go in and just paint stuff out. And so it was very precious. And I was having a hard time getting out of that precious mode. But once I went digital, it was like I was released and um, I was like, now I can work free. I was still able to do the work. I was able to be attached enough to do really good work, but not so attached where I couldn't make changes. And that's when everything changed. Now, if you're not working digital, you're not working at all? Question mark. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still do it by hand. You can, right? You can still do oils. You do watercolors. You can do all of that. And because the deliverable is all digital though. So it doesn't matter if you do a tra um, traditional, 
it's going to be delivered um, digitally. And if you don't do it that way, again, you're going to have somebody looking at you like, huh, what? Like what? At least I can speak for myself. I, I have not delivered a solid board piece of art and I, don't, I can't even remember. I don't even remember the last time I gave someone a board. What was the reason behind you becoming the go-to master of all at the Academy? <laughs> and I'm, I'm giving you Thank that. Thank you. Time, I appreciate but, that. But, 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 you know, with the classes you teach, it's like, wow, this is a lot yeah, of stuff. This is, <laughs> thank you. this is no joke. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> he said it, not me. Uh, <laughs> so I would be coming like, <laughs> Hey man, like I said, ninth string. <laughs> defensive tackle i'm not going toe to toe yeah. with I'm trying to trying to keep trying to keep my yeah. nose in one piece man <laughs> i wish it was a short answer but it's not and nothing i say is short <laughs> so here's the reality when i was in school i made goals even when i left school i said i made a lot of goals i'm gonna you know travel i'm going to be a teacher one day i'm gonna come back and teach really? oh yeah I, I knew that i knew i was going to teach like when i was like maybe a junior oh wow I just knew it. And so, and I wrote, I like to write goals down on papers. I always did this envelopes, this kind of stuff. I even do this stuff to this day. I like to, every year people call it New Year's resolution. I make annual goals and I go after them. Right. Oh yeah. And, and then I review them throughout the year and I checked it in the year, what I did, what I, so that was it. I knew I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to start teaching like around my age now though. Right. Right. You know, it's like, like I'm done. I'm ready yeah, to retire. You know, I was, I'll do one painting yeah. a year. And so when I taught, so with everything, I had some really fantastic teachers and I had a few that were just not so great. And, and it wasn't even technical ability, but it was, it was a personality that you could see they were competing with students sometimes and they weren't really there to help them. They were more to like squash dreams. Right. And I hate to say that, but that's the reality. And, and, it, sure. and that's that I, it, I hate bullies. So when I saw some of that bullying, it, I knew I said, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to come back. And I started thinking about it. It's like, so, and, and so where most of you go, like, who am I and why should I be able to teach? I, I changed it. I flipped the script. I'm going, huh, who is the worst teacher I ever had? I'm being honest with you. That's how I did it. Who is the worst teacher I ever had? Can I do what they did? Yeah, I can be, I'm better than that. So that was all I needed. I look for any angle to get me motivated to go forward. I'm like, I can do it. The minimal, I can do that minimal, but I know I'll do better than that. So I think I'm willing to go take a chance that I could at least be better. I think I have a thirst for learning and desire to just grow. And I know what I want as a student. And so I just, project that on other people. And then I try to get what they want. People want to learn. They want to be motivated. They want to be driven. They want to become better. And they don't want to feel like they're put down. They don't want to feel like I'm terrible and I can never be great. They want to know and see that it can happen. It's interesting you say it that way because there is something that that makes art school different than so many other paths of education where, you know, especially illustrators more than anybody, I think is you're learning to be your own boss. When you're done, you got to go out and hustle. And even if you happen to work with a studio, you're still hustling. And it's like, if you're getting a law degree, you go work at a law firm. You, you, you get a, uh, a degree in medicine, you're going to go, you know, sew stitches. I mean, but if you're getting a, a fine art degree, 
every class is breaking you down, building you back up, figuring out what you're good, getting better, new techniques. You know, you do have to have that kind of, you need someone like you going, all right, let's do it. You know, and it's hard because, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I know there are fantastic teachers all around and I take as much from them and, and I wrap it all up and try to put it into how I teach. So I think the thing is, I know there are people who are passionate, you know, and I'm gonna give you a story here and I'm not going to give a name, but I'm going to tell you, there's a colleague here at school and, and I'm going to, and I want to say this to everybody because sometimes people talk about art school and art teachers and teachers in general they don't care. And he may listen to this, but I'm not going to say his name. But I remember there was one of our students, he was going through a real hard time, you know, and he talked to me, I knew a little bit about his family history, some really tragic stuff. And he was about to be homeless. Now, this guy, this is an academy teacher. No, and the academy doesn't know this. Nobody knows this. And I'm saying this because, and this is the kind of character some of these people are. He sold his car. He went and got this kid an apartment in his name oh, and man. put him in there. Oh my okay? Gosh. So when people, when people complain and talk about art teachers and art school and all that, like you don't know what you're talking about. I know real sacrifice. I know people who put their careers on the line fighting for students. So these are the people that inspire me, period. So when we teach, you know, I, I try to be as empathetic as possible and be aware that these kids, and, and they're not kids, but young adults have lives and there's tragedies going on as much as other things. So, I, so the way I teach is all driven by willing to um, allow myself to have some emotional connection and empathy. It makes teaching much harder. And even with that, you know, because I want to also bring a positive light to it. There's also that emotional connection to doing positive and uplifting images. And, and the thing is, when you see one of your students do well, they, they get a project or they get awards in the Society of Illustrators, and they would come to me and say, I got offered this job, that job, what should I do? Like they're coming to me, asking me like, and like, you know, because, and, and now you can understand it made me feel like so happy for them and their hard work and what they were accomplished. It made me feel like my life's work has meaning, right? Because if you don't do the, have this balance, then you become the resentful teacher. And now you don't want to teach anybody and you become angry. And now you feel like you got to hold back. You got to hold secrets and, and you know, and, and uh, I'm competing with you. So I don't ever want to be that person. So I always want to be able to come into it with the, the sense like I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to give and I'm here to serve and I'm going to try different methods. I'm going to try to do things that is going to help people. I don't want to ever limit myself again. I did that in high school. I did that certain parts in my, my personal life and career because I made some sacrifices that probably, in retrospect, I'm really glad that I did because there were invaluable learning lessons, right? But what I learned even now, and maybe that's why I'm coming a little strong right now, is that it's important to know who you are in your nature and never sacrifice and then go all in and just go all in. And so for you and for any of you out there too, because so this can be a little rah-rah, you know, um, I don't ever sleep and da-da-da-da, right? 
Okay. Some of I, <laughs> the mad, the mad psychotic yeah, artist but, like that's not, I don't want to state that because I also believe in yeah. the aspect of trying to have balance in your life, trying to have sure. downtime, enjoy your family, love your family and all that kind of stuff. And like, I really believe in that really so much. I believe in that more. And that's really where the biggest sacrifices come from. So if I have a choice, Absolutely. I'm going to give it to my family, to my girls, right? So there's, there is another side to that. You're wired to go nonstop all day long. Some people are not. Yeah. And so if you're not, don't beat yourself up thinking you got to be like the people who are. You accept who you are and all you need to do is make 1% improvement every day. And that's all I do. 1% every day. And to this day, people don't believe me, but like there's not one semester, there's not one night, there's not one day that I'm not learning a new something. So you got all that. <laughs> that was a lot to cover with Robert. And I highly suggest you go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash creative mind podcast to see more of Robert's art and deep dive into what he does because it's really fascinating to see his work and how he went from traditional airbrush and watercolor to being at the forefront of the digital design world. So let's wrap it up. And again, please subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Thanks for listening.